I'm Barbara Buchanan, and this is Tales from Weird Scotland. In our podcasts, we look at reported strange or supernatural happenings from around the country. But for the past couple of years, we've written fiction for Christmas. After all, stories of ghosts, the macabre and gothic horror have become as much part of the Christmas experience as crackers and mince pies. What you are about to hear is our tale for this festive season. We hope you find it to your liking. This is The Deal's Days. There is a house in the Highlands. It is unique and unconventional, not unlike the architect who designed it as his own home. Sorley Keller Muir, a proud Highlander, egotistical and very talented. His hotels, art galleries and even train stations around the world have graced the front covers of architectural magazines. His doctors pronounced his surviving a cardiac arrest at his home in New York a lucky escape. Sorley took it to heart, so to speak, and returned to his native Scotland in search of a quieter life. He works when he wants to, redesigning houses for clients where money is no object, reusing and repurposing bricks and stone, wood and slate found on site to create new homes. And if neighbours have any building materials gathering dust in garages and outhouses, Sorley, who loves cutting a good deal, offers to trade for them, with a few bottles of whisky, a new vacuum cleaner, or maybe a workman to rebuild a fence. A bit of fun, a bit of a thrill. These recycled houses are quirky and so very Keller Muir stylish. When he found a place to build his own home, it was entirely by chance. He took a wrong turning off the A9, that main road which links the lowlands to the highlands, clogged with tourist caravans in the summer and sometimes treacherous or even closed with winter snow. He found himself driving through a clachan, no more than a row of houses of the kind built for estate workers back in the day. The road was too narrow to turn his long chassis Land Rover, so he continued past the houses and on down the road in search of a field gateway in which to turn. But the dry stone walls were unbroken and he had no choice but to carry on. Grass grew through the centre of the tarmac. This was a road to nowhere. At last it petered out into a sweeping gravelled circle and sorely swung the Land Rover round to face the way he had come. There was finally a gate in the wall and through it he glimpsed water. Curious, he parked and went to look. Ahead of him was a lochen, its waters dark and still. It was edged with a pebble-strewn strand, fringed on all but one side with a deep stand of pine trees. Directly in front of him, the Loch shore was open, wide and crescent-shaped. Beyond the trees rose a jagged, scree-sloped mountain, where snow still sparkled in the gullies, 
despite the mild spring weather. The view was to die for. Not another building or human being anywhere in sight. The only sounds, the cawing of crows and the gentle breeze whispering through the trees. On the open ground was evidence of old buildings, tumbled stones and roof tiles being reclaimed by moss and lichen. There were signs of burning, likely a house fire, but he knew he could breathe life into these stones, raise a phoenix from the ashes. All he had to do now was find who owned the place and make him an offer he couldn't refuse. Brief inquiries at the Clacken led him to the estate which owned the land and the Lochen. Tortuous planning applications, lack of main services and inadequate access would put most buyers off. So Sorley's offer was likely the only chance there would ever be to sell this unproductive parcel of land. Naturally, Sorley haggled on the price, but otherwise the purchase proved surprisingly straightforward. Sorley threw a lochside party for the folk from the Clacken to explain what he planned to do with his newly acquired land. Apart from the occasional dog-walking or foraging wanders in the forest, they rarely visited here. And never, never on the deals days, piped up one elderly man. Obviously, here was a story. The deals days. Legend had it that the deal, the devil, Lord Lucifer, Satan, Beelzebub, or whichever of his many names you chose to use, came to this remote and lonely spot devoid of dwellings and people to nurse his wrath each Christmas tide when the birth of the baby Jesus meant his chances of tempting anyone to join him on the dark side were almost nil. Too much goodness and love thy fellow man going around. It enraged him no less each year, and he marched angrily back and forth around the top of the Lochen for three days over Christmas, without rest, no matter the weather, laying the land bare, flattening it with his cloven hooves and singeing anything in his path with his hot, rancid breath, and all the while screaming his fury into the wind. Six hundred and sixty-six steps one way, six hundred and sixty-six steps back again. His number, the number of the beast. It was true that any dwelling built beside the Lochin in the past had been destroyed by fire, but there was no pattern to how long they stood, when they burned to the ground, or how the fire was lit, or even who was consumed in the flames. The deal, it was said, would thole no neighbours. Oddly, even those who thought the story a complete fantasy to explain the cleared land by the Lochen and the burnt dwellings admitted to avoiding the place at Christmas. The deals days, a wee highland tradition, no more than that. Sorley was prepared to take his chances on a wee highland tradition, and perhaps if the story were true, they could come to some arrangement. Many before him had bargained with the devil, and for Sorley, this was the ultimate deal. He had some thinking to do.
For the duration of the build, he rented a motorhome so he could live on site whenever the need arose to oversee the construction work. He had, inevitably, when he was alone, tested the number of steps on the deals walk around the top of the lochen. Annoyingly, no matter how often he tried, he couldn't get the count to work. But one morning, after a heavy rainstorm, when he walked from the motorhome with a steaming mug of coffee in hand, he noticed by the strand's edge a pattern of cloven hoof prints in the mud. The deer in the forest had become less shy of late, so maybe one had wandered onto the site, but Sorley was hoping for something much more intriguing. Laying his mug to one side, he tracked his way to the first hoof print and matched them step for step. 666 steps one way, 666 steps back again. A sudden gust of scorching wind blew across the lochen. It stank of burning, of sulphur. Sorley nodded. So he had been watching, and he'd finally decided to make his presence felt. Good. Very good. The completed house was not what anyone had expected. Although he reused the stones of the previous houses, the front facade was a wall of one-way mirrored glass. From every room, Sorley could admire his domain, but no one could see in. Not that there was anyone to look, was there? The mirrored facade made the house vanish behind the reflected landscape. To the right of the house and close to the water's edge, Sorley had a stone and pine arbour built, a seat to make the most of the view, sheltered from the weather. From here the house was entirely out of sight. On his first night in his new home, he took hooks, nails and a hammer and pinned a hand-carved wooden sign to the arbour. He'd burnt the letters into the wood himself. Chichuch forschenoch. Gaelic for lucky escape. He admired his handiwork, sat down on the edge of the bench and gazed out to the distant mountain. Speak of the devil, and he doth appear. Isn't that the old saying? I hope so, because there are things I want to explain. I've hidden the house, so you need not be vexed by it. And this shelter is for you, to escape a winter storm and rest if you feel the need. Gestures of my goodwill. And you have my word that for the deal's days, no one will come here to the house. That time is yours. In return, will you not burn it down? Will you leave my house be? I know the consequences, what I can expect from you if I break my word. Is this enough? Do we have a bargain? On the edge of his vision, he saw a deer break through the trees and bear down on him at speed. It was a huge beast, a monarch stag, 16 points on its antlers. Sorley didn't move a muscle. He knew this animal could kill him if it chose. It halted abruptly in front of him, tossing its head. He could smell the reek of fetid breath. Then, slowly, slowly round the arbour, it walked as if inspecting it. Once, twice, three times. Still, Sorley did not move. 
When finally it stopped in front of him, the setting sun behind seemed to have lit the antlers ablaze. Its eyes glowed red as burning coals. The stag dropped its heavy head just once in seeming acquiescence, then turned its back on him and sauntered away, disappearing into the forest from which it had come. Time passed and the house still stood untroubled. Sorley never saw the monarch stag again, although he did occasionally feel he was being watched. He warmly welcomed friends and family to experience his little piece of heaven. Even when he was away, he didn't mind folks staying. All they needed was the code to the keypad entry. In return, he asked for a case of decent claret, a reasonable trade. Although his Hogmanay hospitality was well known, the house lay silent and empty each Christmas. And to avoid any misunderstanding, Sorley made sure he was far away from the Lochham for the deals days. He was back in New York visiting friends that Christmas when his cousin phoned to wish him the compliments of the season. By the by, his cousin said, you remember my friend Fergus and his wife? They came for lunch one day when we were at the Lochham house in the summer. Sorely did, vaguely. Well, they've had a nightmare. Visitors staying for Christmas, boilers broken down and the pipes burst. The place is basically uninhabitable. I said they should pack everything up and go to the Lochan house, salvage what they can of Christmas, sort it all out afterwards. I was sure you wouldn't mind. No one else is there just now. And they know to take the claret. Sorely? Sorely, are you there? Did you hear me? The phone dropped from Sorley's hand as an excruciating, crushing pain ripped through his chest and down his arm. The explosion could be heard loud and clear in the clachan. Those who still had their curtains open that late Christmas Eve saw a flash of light, then nothing more. The few with an interest in strange phenomena wondered if it might be thunder snow, as this would be a white Christmas. But there were parcels to wrap and tatties to peel, so they thought no more of it. The driver of the 4x4 jeep, which had been heading south on the A9 through the blizzard, sat in the back of the ambulance, wrapped in a silver survival blanket, whilst paramedics tended to the cuts from shards of white and green glass on his hands and face. But he was still able to gabble a statement to the police officer sitting by him. Never seen the like! Just as I passed the wee road to the Clacken, the snow turned into a whiteout. I slowed the car right down, hoped I could make it home only a couple of miles but touch and go. No other vehicles, not daft enough to be out in that, but I had to pick up the turkey from the farm up by. But then I saw the lights of a car travelling north way too fast in my opinion. Suddenly, out of nowhere, this deer leapt into the road right in front of it. Huge great animal, and the car swerved to avoid it. Must have hit a rock or something, because it took off like a rocket and tumbled a couple of times in the air and landed on its roof in the ditch. I tried to get to them, but it just exploded and burst into flames right in front of me. Glass flying everywhere. Must have been the petrol tank. If I'd been any closer, I'd have been a goner myself. A lucky escape for sure. 
No idea what happened to the deer. Must have run off. Lying in his hospital bed, attached to drips and monitors, sorely drifted in and out of consciousness. His room seemed suddenly too hot and stifling. The stench was overpowering and he could hardly breathe. He clawed at his oxygen mask. Something wasn't right. A hissing began inside his head. Sorely. Sorely. No need to open your eyes. It's myself, the monarch of the Glen. A disguise that works well in the Highlands, I've found. Now don't you be shouting out. No one can see me. They'll say it's the drugs. I've something to tell you. I saved your house. It's just as you left it. A gesture of my goodwill. No thanks necessary. I'm pleased how I managed it so neatly at such short notice. Truth to tell, I haven't enjoyed myself so much at this time of year in oh, ages. You'll find out what happened soon enough, but you might not like what you hear. So, let me give you a wee word of advice. If you bargain with me, you need to be careful of the small print. You only asked that I leave the house be. Nothing else. And the devil is in the detail, is it not? You're not the first to make that mistake, and you won't be the last. So cut yourself some slack. I did. Now you get well soon, my friend. The house is waiting. You've both had a lucky escape tonight. The hissing faded, replaced by the beeping of the monitors which told of his recovery. Sorley slowly opened his eyes. He was alone. The familiar disinfectant smell of hospital was comforting and the heat in his room was no longer unbearable. The sound of Christmas carols drifted in from a radio at the nurse's station. There is a house in the highlands. It is silent and empty. Along the loch and shore before it, a lone figure marches back and forth, back and forth, reflected in its mirrored glass facade. His cackling laughter carried away on the wind.
That was Barbara Buchanan. This tale was written and told by Barbara, with recording and radiophonic design by me, Nick Cole Hamilton. We wish you light in the dark. Join us again soon for more tales from Weird Scotland.